With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Seria Chronicles is a Bayer Chronicles production. <laughs> Because it's like my first pod since then, you know. It'll be all right. We can always restart if we don't like it. Okay. Hello, and welcome to the Serie Chronicles podcast. It's a brand spanking new podcast with me, Mina Rizuki, and of course, Nikki Bandini. We are reunited. And not just because, you know, we're fabulous friends who love Italian football and use it, and it is our profession. But because we have a chance to debate, we have different ideas, this is all going to come across as we go through what is, in our eyes, the best European football league. And there are so much to discuss <laughs> going through Roma and Mourinho's 1000th match. There was obviously the brilliance of Milan against Lazio, Juventus and their demise. Can Napoli win the Scudetto? Do we ask this question every year? I really don't know, but I have to introduce you to Nikki Bandini, my co-host. Hello, Nikki. Mina, I'm so happy to be back doing a podcast with you. I've missed you. Um, we've had this um, uh, amazing, amazing summer for Italian football with Italy winning yeah. the Euros. And then, um, I don't know about you, but I sort of had this, because um, we had like a season and a half of football rolled together, basically, because of COVID. So we had a season and a half of football, and then we had the yeah. Euros, and the Euros were incredible and then we um you know I anyway was like all right some time off now and then next thing you knew it was the new season we're starting up again and we didn't have our old spot to to, to chat and to to yeah. do this and I'm just so excited that we've got a new spot where I get to come and see you every week and and talk about it because I have to say I know this is going to sound like I'm just sort of puffing up the new thing we're doing oh it's a new podcast and it's what we're trying to sell but it's not like I'm just so excited about this season it's such a um it's such a thrilling set of narratives that are already weaving together in this Italian football season that I'm, I'm excited to talk about them 
I also thought that, you know, here's the thing. I'll, I'll be really honest with you. Like you said, it's been like a year and a half of football and, you know, and everything packed in together. And you just kind of felt like we didn't have a summer last year because it was just like obviously Champions League. Everything was happening during August, you know. And then this all happened. And then the Euros, obviously, Italy reached the final. We were both like spectacularly impressed with that and so happy with that. But we were all spectacularly busy with it. Nonstop, exactly. Yeah. And there just, there did come a point where I thought, I'm not entirely sure that I want this to be my life anymore, that I'm just constantly like pro football. I was missing family moments. I just felt like I really needed a holiday. I just, I just felt like this can't be my life anymore. Like I have to figure out a way of just, you know, finding this all together and and the game is nice and everything, but like I'm getting older, you know? And then I watched the game and then I, I had this chance to do something for work and go away to Monaco and explore other avenues for work and all of this business. I was like, yeah, for sure. I didn't care that it was going to miss the first two games of Serie A, not, not necessarily watch every single or as much as I can. I'm not going to watch every single one, but you know what I mean? And I was like, yeah, yeah, this is all good. Sat down first weekend where I'm watching all these games, watched Juve, watched into, you know, Sampdoria, laughed a little bit, <laughs> and then, you know. Um, Milan, all of this, and then Roma, Sassuolo. And I, I just thought, oh my God, I love this game. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it sucks you back in. I think what you're talking about is like super normal, by the way. I think like this last year and a half has been so weird because it's not really just about the football, it's about the fact that we've consumed a lot of the football we've consumed sat on our own at home because of lockdowns and in uh, empty stadiums if we've been in stadiums and it's been so different um but then I think it was already happening and I think probably if we'd done a podcast in week one I would have been exactly the same really but I think this weekend was definitely a weekend where you're like this is football this is what it is shows I know we're going to start Amina Jose Mourinho running down the sideline at the Sadio Olimpico the place I mean, first of all, just that on its own, right? Up until the spring, who would ever have imagined Mourinho at the Olympico as the home manager? But running down the sideline, he's got his fist up in the air, he's got his mouth open, the Kurfasud is going crazy. I, I don't know how you don't um how you don't get a little bit swept up in that. And I'm sure part of that as well is just uh, the mythos of Jose that we can all sort of have a love-hate with sometimes. Yeah, I mean, you're right. This is what sucks you back in. It is that childlike celebration that he referred to afterwards when he when he was speaking to everyone saying, I was trying to tell myself that this doesn't matter. But it was also El Shirawi's goal. I'm not oh the world's God, biggest fan when it comes to El Shirawi. I'm always a bit like a hit and miss. Sometimes the guy can be phenomenal. Sometimes you're like, mm, do you really want him on there? But wow! That goal, the excitement, the amount of opportunities that Sassuolo created and didn't take, them tripping in defense that made me think, oh my God, this is all deserve all over you. You know, like, oh, this is so annoying, you know? And and there was just, there was so much emotion that I felt watching that match that I thought, God, I forgot, I forgot how much I love this game. And I and I don't really care if my life is this for a while yet. I'm not ready to give it all <laughs> up, but I this is weird because I loved Paolo Fonseca's Roma. I thought that they were so tactically sophisticated. They were versatile. He was really raising those kids. You know, they were a nice team. They weren't sort of that team that I associate with like Nangolan and Strutman and just 
characters that I didn't love at the time. It just all seemed a little bit antagonistic, you know. With Fonseca, I just felt like there was so much tactical variation. Um, I loved Mancini, Ibanez, you know, the smalling coming back and being that man, you know, at the back. Jekko up front, obviously a Lorenzo Pellegrini, what a, what a terrific player. He's but they did fun. miss that mentality and how much we discussed that when they were losing to all these big teams and, and a lot of those, that pressure that came with it, of course. And then you thought, okay, Jose Mourinho is going to come in, but there's still a lot of work to do. The guy's not going to win straight away just because he's Jose Mourinho. And the guy's winning straight away. <laughs> Well, so yeah, let's let's sort of sort of lay out some of what um, uh, the big picture is here. So Mourinho is now three games into his time at, at Roma, because of course we've missed two rounds. Um, mm-hmm. Three games into his time at, at Roma, he's won three out of three. Um, this is the most recent one, beating Sassuolo. I think um, anyone who watched this game in real time would have thought for a significant part of the second half at Roma, we're not going to win this game. Um, it was absolutely helter-skelter in the second half, but you had, it was a real you know, cliche alert, game of, of two halves going on because the, the first half was actually very cagey, I thought. Um, mm. Really sort of um, crafty goal for, for, for Roma um, where you have a Pellegrini doing this gesture to the back post at a free kick saying, you know, over there, over there. Even Tammy Abraham in the middle is gesturing over his shoulder going behind me, behind me. And then Pellegrini plays this quick ball along the floor. Cristante reacts to it. Um, it looks like it's probably something they've, they've pre-planned. The whole defence is caught flat-footed and Cristante just has the easiest goal of his life because no one has gone with him. Um, and that was sort of the, the first half. The second half, Sassuolo equalised. Lovely, lovely goal. Domenico Berardi, who, by the way, thought he was on his way out of Sassuolo for most of the summer, was trying to get out of Sassuolo, starts his first game of the season, does a wonderful turn to slap Juricic to make it one all, And then just chaos for the remaining half an hour. Just end-to-end chaos of Roma pouring forward, Tammy Abraham hits the post, at the other end, Rui Patricio, who's another of the the big summer signings for Roma, makes two outrageous saves. I mean, one of them uh, with with sort of really the end of his toe. um, Was that from Berardi or am I mixing it up? Anyway, end of his toe save. um, Had another one from Jeremy Bogo when Bogo's clean through. Um, Chaotic. And in the end, the fact that Roma got the winning goal, it did feel a little bit um, incidental, right? Like it could easily have gone the other way. And even Jose said that. Jose in his post-game comment says, this game could have finished 6 all or 7 all or even 2-1 to Sassuolo. So he wasn't saying this was brilliant. Um, so I don't, I still don't know where I am with, with Jose's uh, Roma. I'm, I'm excited by Jose's Roma. And I think that maybe is enough for me right now. Whether or not I believe Roma are, all set for a title challenge? I don't know. But here's the things I like. I like Tammy Abraham a lot up front, a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot. I think his physicality all through this game again was so important, forcing defenders onto the back foot. I think that he gives that attack a completely different dynamic. Pellegrini obviously is becoming next level. I think he's really kicking <laughs> on and, and he's so important in that midfield. And I the, the thing that's the, the intangible and that I think that is almost like the thing that hangs over Roma as well is I like this Mourinho. It's fun Mourinho. And Mourinho is like this when he's making substitutions like even throwing Al Sharabi into the mix later on and saying, all right, then we're not going to shut up shop. We're going to say, that's what I want to come at us. We'll come at you. That's all fun and brilliant. I don't know if I think it's a title winning team yet, but I am enjoying watching it. I don't know if it's a title winning team yet either. So I agree with that. 
I think title winning is probably a bad bar to set for it, actually. I mean, Roma haven't even been in the top three since 2018. So that's probably um, top four, sorry, 2018. Okay, are they, a top, are they a top three team? Well, so I, th- I think these are the expectations of the ownership, right? Ownership wants to be in the top four. They've spent close to 100 million euros this summer, really in a quiet way, by the way, because until Abraham came in, it wasn't didn't seem like a lot. Um, but ownership expectations and perhaps needs are... Um, Top four. I think the fans low-key would be just as happy with a Coppa Italia because they haven't won anything since 2008. Roma fans are never happy with anything. <laughs> I mean, I, it's got to be a Scudetto, surely, you know. I mean, or at least, like, you know, a, a good challenge. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they could be like, well, thanks for this Coppa Italia. Roma's just prodding the Roma fan base right away <laughs> in week one. Hello, here's your Coppa Italia. You know, thanks for Mourinho and everything else that you guys have got. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's true. I think Roma Roma enjoys. I wouldn't be happy with the Coppa Italia, and I, I, even if I was like supporting Sassuolo, if I'm honest with you. <laughs> yeah, but here's the thing. Yeah, like obviously we we can't judge it yet because I thought that it was very close with Fiorentina too. There's any opportunity at that game as well that I thought Fiorentina could win that. You know, um, I like. You're right about Henry Abraham. I didn't expect him to acclimatize to the situation so quickly and said, yeah. But you know what I like most about him is I feel like he really takes on instructions very well and then puts that into, you know, executes it. So I, I love him, but I really also love Shmuradon. Um, I, oh, I think that, yeah, you know, what a revelation. wonderful. And the way that he is so generous in his play in the final third and obviously was his assist as well. He is one player. Did you think that was an assist, though? In general, yes, I agree, generous. But did you think that was a deliberate assist? Or do you think he was just trying to bring it down and it fell to El Shirali and he said, all right, that's happened? No, you're right. I do think it's like, you know, sort of nobody thought El Shirali was going to take that goal, right? And I agree with you there. But what I love is that he is somebody who plays in the final third. You know, he is somebody who engages with everyone and he's he's smart like that. And, and then when you have him and Tammy Abraham, both really intelligent, young, good players. I feel like there's a lot of room for growth over there. Um, I'm going to disagree with people. Everyone was saying, and even I'm even disagreeing with Mourinho here in the sense that I think Sassuolo offensively are more sophisticated at this point. Um, there's more variety to their play. I do love that Dionisi is making them, uh, you know, that they can possess the ball, they can be vertical. They, there's a lot of, you know, there's just a lot of different ways that they can hit you. Right. But overall, in terms of absolute balance, you know, where your offensive is, where your attack is clinical and where your defense is pure, Roma were better. Um, I think that it for me. I, I have no idea where our listen, listenership will be at with teams like Sassuolo. So just to say Dionisi, Sassuolo manager, um, he was uh, he's in his first ever experience in Serie A. He was um, at Empoli, got them promoted and then uh, hopped over to Sassuolo because that um, vacancy came up because Roberto De Zerbi um, headed off. And I know Mina has never been De Zerbi's biggest fan, um, so I, I'm not surprised that you've got some enthusiasm for them. And you can see the remnants of De Zerbi as well. So De Zerbi was very much loved and very much credited for, you know, for the jumping quality that we've seen. You know, we've seen like also Berardi, Locatelli. There was a lot of the national team that De Zerbi had a hand in, you know. He is a very good coach, the way that he motivates, the way that he he spoke to his um, players. His tactics were always offensive minded, always, you know, good with the ball. 
But to be honest with you, Sassuolo has been very good when it comes to building this wonderful team ethic and a, a group of directors in general. They were very successful with the debut of Di Francesco as well. Um, Roberto De Zerbi came in, continued to work, perhaps even better did, I would say, you know. Um, they do take a lot of court, sort of uh, risks at the back, can I say? Yes. And Dionisi had come in in preseason and he was wanted by a lot of clubs. I, let's make that clear. And he left Empoli and they were very upset when he left Empoli to go to Sassuolo and to begin this adventure with them. It seemed like the right fit because he's a very interesting, obviously, coach, plays very exciting football, but he's a little bit more vertical than what Deserbi is and a little bit more pragmatic sometimes defensively, which is what I liked. And he said, you know, there is a point where I will tell my, my um, players that if you see somebody running towards you, you, know, you don't always have to construct everything from the back. Sometimes it's okay to just hoof the ball if you're scared. And it was just that touch of pragmatism. I was like, oh, thank God. It was like Zidane for, for um, Real Madrid. That was something that he really made sure that they understood, you know, like guys do the basics really well. It doesn't matter if you're scared, just hoof the ball. It's fine. You know, like kick it out of play. I don't care, but just do that. They're not doing that. <laughs> you know? It's the very opposite of Deserbi message. Deserbi was very much like, we're going to pass it out. Deserbi's a purist. Yes, and let's take risks and you'll learn from your risks. And they're both two points of view that can, you know, you, you are good because Gattuso did the same with Napoli. Like, I don't care if you make mistakes, let's keep going so that you won't make mistakes. But listen, players will make mistakes because pressure from another team will always, for me, you know, will be too much. And sometimes you need to have the option of not doing the right thing all the time and just doing the basic thing. I'm happy mm. with that. So this is why I like Dionisi a little bit more. Obviously, we haven't seen much of him, but my issue is that there are still defensive mistakes there. And this is something that he can't remedy straight away. It will take time. You can see his imprint. You can see the tactical variety, especially going forward, which I think is very interesting. But they have and take too many risks at the back. And so in terms of extreme balance, Mourinho has really made sure that they are very tight, Roma, at the back. They, I'm not saying that they don't concede chances, but... Sassuolo don't score theirs. And here's the thing, yeah? They have almost as many shots as Roma on goal, but have only managed, what, four goals? And interestingly, when you look at other teams that have a lot of shots on goals and haven't scored, Empoli. <laughs> Dionysi's former club, of course, oh, you know, they are under new management, but you know what I mean. <laughs> that's, that's a really interesting one to watch. I, I, I'm actually really fascinated by their attack because they have this... Um, um, Obviously, Berardi, who stayed, we talked about, but they've got this little large alternate options between uh, Raspadori, who obviously scored his first Italy goal, um, and then Scamacca, who's a giant. They're so different, but they're both like young Italian forwards. Very exciting yes. to me. But I don't think that people want to talk forever about Sassuolo, even though I could for talk for a while longer. Yes. I think we've um, we've talked about Roma. I think we have another, well, there was lots of huge games this weekend, as far as I was concerned. But I think we need to talk about... Uh, Napoli against Juventus, Mina. I think we need to talk about it um, because, um, I mean, gosh, there's, there's a few different things we could come in on here and I definitely want to talk about Napoli and I want to talk about Koulibaly, um, but I think probably we should start off by spinning it from the other side and saying, Juventus, how many times since we've been podcasting the last few years together, Mina, has it been... Um, about Juventus and and suddenly the league table looks like the opposite of about Juventus. They are one point from three games. They found a way to sabotage themselves pretty hard against Napoli with Chesney uh, dropping the first ball, uh, the, the ball at Platano's feet for the first goal. 
And um, then Moise Ken coming off the bench and basically nearly beating Chesney himself and giving Koulibaly quite an easy tap in for the winner. So Juventus 1-0 up against Napoli and lost 2-1. Is this... Um, because, you know, I can't speak for you, Mina. I can speak for myself. Before this season started, we watched Inter lose some of their biggest players. And we saw Max Allegri come back to Juventus. And sure, Ronaldo left, but we thought maybe it was time for that. And I genuinely thought this team is the obvious favourite, even though there are other teams I'm interested in, the obvious favourite to win the league. Is it that I was wrong and lots of other people were wrong? Is this uh, growing pains... Is Allegri actually out of date and he's not the right man? They've made a mistake bringing him back. Oh, don't even say these things. <laughs> What's the situation? I'm asking questions. I'm asking questions. Weirdly enough, I'm not that worried. Um, I'm not worried because I think there's been a lot of change. And I think what Allegri has come back to is not what he arrived to the first time around when it was Antonio Conte's UV. And he could sort of take that on board and slowly build and slowly leave his imprint on the side and turn them into the winners that they became. Um, always winners, but European winners now. Um, and yes, I do think that I imagined, here's something, Gazetta wrote, you know, put your hands up if you, think, if you thought that you were going to just trash everyone going forward because let's face it, Max Allegri was in charge. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, that was so totally me. Like I'm putting my hands up. I totally thought it was going to be Juve and Allegri all the way because mm. let's be honest. I mean, I love Italiano and I love Stefano Pioli, but Max Allegri was like, is like, wow, for me, you know? Yeah. But I think that what we didn't sort of take on board was how much work there was to do. I mean, for so long, it was interesting listening to Mali Tussari's comments after Milan Lazio, which we'll get onto, which talked about how they had to change and how to fend from the front. You know, Allegri played a very specific style of football and it was a continuation of Conte's work. So in essence, a lot of those players played the same style of football for very, very long. And it was focused a lot on pragmatic reasoning um, and, you know, tactical adjustments, reading the climate and adjusting to that. And I think that what happened afterwards is we had two coaches from Sari to Pirlo, obviously, that changed things and wanted to be more creative to, to push the team forward, to defend from the front and not perhaps fall back on these things like a, a deep, compact, low unit that sometimes Allegri likes to play, right? Sometimes. Um, sometimes. I mean, they were very, very low against Napoli. You know, like I was like, I mean, at any point here, all standing next to Chesney, you know. Um, but uh, it's going to take a while also because he's without his South American contingent. So there wasn't, you know, Dybala, there wasn't Alexandro, there wasn't a lot of, you know, Quadrado, for example. He was without Dybala. I think that he chose this match to be sort of defensive minded and try to take their chances. It was a pragmatic reasoning. I always understand why he decides to do the things that he, he, he does. And I think that when you look at Napoli in the first half, the tactic worked, right? But when they could bring on the likes of Zielinski and Unas to change things around, who did Juventus have to really look at the bench and think, yeah, this is going to make a huge difference right now? There isn't a director in midfield. Um, there wasn't a Dybala to bring on that could change everything for them. The team isn't very, very good. I'll be honest with you. Matthias De Ligt, for me, I'm still crying about Romero going to Atalanta. Then the guy went to Tottenham. He's going to become a world star. And, and De Ligt is good. Don't get me wrong, but he's not growing at the pace that we perhaps imagined he would, you know? And Wazekian is always fantastic to have back. Obviously, his error made a huge mistake. Chesney, 
I've always, always had question marks about this guy because of the way that they defend when he is there. You can just tell that Kalini and Bonucci don't trust him, which is why they sit back a lot closer to him than what they do with Buffon. There isn't that leadership at the back. And there's there's an error in the Champions League. Do you remember that against Porto? There's an error in the Euros for Poland when he scores an own goal. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Demiral did that for Turkey too. Juventus have a history of it in the Euros, you know. But Chesney... I don't know, obviously has been kept on board. He's being paid 7 million euros net a season with a long contract. Well, that is one of the reasons why they didn't go for Donnarumma. Allegri is no longer just the coach of Juventus. He's also a manager, which means he has an input when it comes to transfers right now. And to him, with such little money on board and the capital injection not being able to be spent until at least January or onwards, Let's make the right choices. Locatelli is more important. Let's see what we can do. I would also bring Don. I would always have bought in Donnarumma. I would have spent all my money on Donnarumma. So for me, that was a terrible choice because Chesney is a problem. When Moji bought in Buffon for a record amount of uh, money, there was a reason for it. So there are individual mistakes. But again, like I said, there are also, you understand why it's not working and why it's not coming together and the absences. And when you consider all of that, you think, you may have time to recover. Well, I, I think there's a premise that I'm not the first person to make this observation, but I think it's worth bringing in. Um, Allegri's second season at Juventus, he had one point after three games. Yeah, um, exactly. I actually think it was not until six or seven games that they even won two, because it wasn't like it just stopped there. They had, I think their fifth game, they lost to Napoli as well, and they might have had another draw in there. So it actually trouble. it wasn't even just three games to start the season. They started that season badly. Then they went on something ridiculous, like a 19-game winning run. And and they won the league, not, it wasn't a close in the end. They won it by eight or nine points. Um, so some perspective for sure. Um, I think there's one note in that that's like my sort of contradictory subclause, which was in that huge running winning run they went on, didn't Gigi Buffon set like a record for longest time without conceding a goal? And Bring me back, Buffon! <laughs> I, I, oh God, don't, don't say it, Mina, it could happen. We know he's not done yet. Yeah, I'm Can you fine just with it. Him showing up again. Um, I, well, give me um, Kano Navas if you want, Donnarumma. Give me Kano Navas. Well, you know? I mean that situation makes me sad that Navas and, and Donnarumma are in the same team. Um, I, I think there were other options um, that you could have gone for this summer. You know, look, I think even Milan have made a smart signing with Mike Magnan. I think he's a good keeper. Yeah. Um, I've always had some uh, reservations about. Um, Chesney, I think even when he was being crowned as the best keeper in the league, which was people were saying a couple of years ago, I, I continue to say I had reservations about it. And someone was asking me last night, could they even um, at some point give Perrine another look? And Perrine is only 28, so who knows? But um, I do think, to sort of just focus on the Napoli game for a minute, um, you know, I think you, you nailed it, talking about like the low block. It's exactly what um, uh, Allegri wanted to do. And I would say actually up till Chesney drops the ball, it was a pretty boring game, but it was but it was it was doing what Allegri wanted it to. He got the early goal and he'd set up this block in midfield that was pretty well suffocating Napoli. He even had Kulisevsky sitting deep in the centre behind the attack to sort of harass the bottom of their construction with Fabian Ruiz. It was not pretty, but it was forcing Napoli in areas they didn't want to work in, which weren't really working for them. That first goal comes a bit out of nowhere, even a one-all. Yes, Napoli had the better of it, but I didn't actually feel like a second goal was necessarily coming. It just sort of happened. So I do think, for me, it's all still a bit incidental. 
My counterpoint to that is, if your idea is basically to wind back the clock, which is what it feels like to me, this is like you're saying, this worked before, I can do it again. If your idea is is just to wind back the clock and your personnel in, in all the key areas is just a bit worse than what it was before, right? Because Chesney isn't as good as Buffon. Chiellini and Bonucci are still there, but they're older. Um, Delict, I, I still like Delict, but is he as reliable as, as that? You haven't got, I know you hated him, but you haven't got Pjanic in the middle of the park who can do some of that conducting. Is it going to be more of this? Are there going to be more of that? And that, I think, is going to be the big... Um, unanswered question um simon our producer just uh jumping in with a, a little note that uh, there have been some reports that we've on good comeback don't rule it out with Gigi. never say never i mean i really couldn't but i do want to because we will do what we always do media and, and spend too long talking about events i do want to turn this around i do want to talk about um luciano spalletti at napoli with nine points from from three games i identified them in my pre-season column the guardian as as a dark horse in the league and I don't know that this game particularly is the one that I'm going to say, oh, and I've proved it. But I mean, I, I'm going to qualify what I was about to say in a second. But I did say before the Euros that Turkey were a dark horse. And that was so bad that I already <laughs> feel like this is a better dark horse. Like I've already done better. So look, um, I think Napoli have, have um, kept together a core of some of the best players uh, of any squad in the league. I think it's astonishing to me that after all these years, Koulibaly is still there. He didn't have his greatest season last season, and that's probably part of it. But um, I really thought he would be gone by now. I thought he would have gone years ago for how good he is. Um, and I think that while he's had his ups and downs, I don't know that he's you know come quite as far as I hoped he would in some areas of his game. I do think it was a really interesting contrast. You just talked about Juventus saying we didn't have these South American players. Whereas Koulibaly, who was playing for Senegal, two games, second of which in Congo on the Tuesday, changes his fights twice, gets back to Naples as quick as he humanly can, gets off the plane and goes straight to training. And you've got Spalletti before the game, before he knows he's going to score a winning goal, saying, God, if we could all just you know, take a little piece of, of Koulibaly and be more like him, um, the world would be better. And then he scores the goal. I, I, I like that moment a lot. And I, I, I really enjoyed Koulibaly as well. Another of those moments of just remembering what football can be when it's a stadium full of people. And he went and grabbed the camera afterwards and was taking photos of, of the fans. And he thought, in my mind, I was thinking about Totti and that famous selfie in front of the court. Right? It was, oh, these are the moments that I love for. This, this is what makes me excited about football is, is the human stuff as well. I find it interesting that Koulibaly is always the one that like decides these matches. I mean, three years ago, <laughs> he scored the winner and it was like, yes, Apple, yeah, still in the race. This is going to be so exciting. Buffon was devastated, you know. Two years ago, he scores an own goal. I'm laughing, you know, thinking yeah. it's always Koulibaly, right? After Napoli came back from 3-0 to 3 all, then he was the one who got the one that uh, lost Exactly. Game, yeah. It was Ancelotti's Napoli, you know, and it was like this, you know, and he's had an ups and he had, like you said, ups and downs, because I think he was tremendous with Albiol. But a little isn't less that so true? Though, big players, big games. Big players, big games. He shows up in those Juventus games one way or another because he's such an important player. I don't know, because last season, I don't think he had a terrific season, sometimes even in the big matches. But I just a, a few things that I, I do want to talk about. Anguissa, I think, is just on a, yeah. like he's wonderful. I know it's one performance, so I'm not going to go overboard. But I just want to mention that in Naniga, when he was playing for them, when he was playing there, only Nabil Fakir and Lionel Messi had managed more dribbles than him. 
the his work rate, his determination, his ability to listen to instructions, he for me made the game a lot more interesting. Another thing, just to go back on on Juventus as well, is that Allegri is a man of substitutions. He's a game. He's a man who watches the game and how it proceeds, and then changes it with his subs. He didn't have the subs available. But Spalletti made the most with what he did with his subs, and he really did change the game for Napoli. Now, every year, every year, it's not just you, it's everyone I know on Serie A, by the way, and every podcast, and every TV show, and everything, Gazetta. Napoli are the dark horse. Napoli could win the Scudetto. Look at Napoli. And every year, what did they do? Struggle to sometimes even make top four, okay? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and this is what really season. bothers me. They, we've seen them under miss out. Very narrowly undecided, but really that is the last time that I saw them provide a real challenge, okay? Mm. It sort of started to falter then, and then Carlo Ancelotti came in and built them and made them really fun to watch in, in Champions League, do you remember that? And then against Genoa, you could even watch it in the, in week two, you know, the drop of intensity in the second half, they start to be like, oh, I'm taking everything for granted. Against Venezia, jogging back to defend when it mattered, because I think it's Venezia, you know? This is my issue with them and will forever be my issue with them because you can talk about Koulibaly's leadership, you can talk about Insignia, captain, wow, 400th game, congratulations. But there is something about them that I'm never going to be convinced about on a mental level. Something that I saw in Roma that made me so excited yesterday, you know, something I haven't seen in Juve for a very, very long time, you know, but it is that don't you dare think you're going to get the best of me, you know? It's the Charles Spalletti. We've got, we've got Spalletti, takes his shirt off in the Russian winter. He's, he's a different... It's a different I haven't seen it in, a, in all three games that they've played this season. I've seen them drop. I've seen them take things, mm, yeah, maybe, maybe not. So he has a lot of work to do as well. I'm not... I, I, I think they've done well, obviously nine points, but I have not been blown away by any of their performances. So, and I'm not judging this based on, you know, a win against Venezia because frankly speaking my grandmother would have won that first match against Venezia yeah and so Venezia is different I really love Venezia this is not a blow on them and I do think they can grow but it was their first match with a, a bunch of players missing you know so much changes so obviously it was going to be an easy win for them and still they barely took any of that seriously so but Mina I've missed your hyperbole I also just want to mention something this is I hope Spalletti can change this because Napoli do not deserve to be a team that, are oh, they going to be third, fourth, fifth? What, they should be a team that it always guarantees you spectacular performances. Mm-hmm. And for me, I hope they become that because they deserve to be that because of the construction of the squad, because of how good they are at identifying talent like Anguissa, like Osserman, who's so fun to watch up front, you know? And mm-hmm. so they should really be more than this. But I, it annoys me that. Lastly, I do want to mention something. So Juve Napoli got 16 million views, I think, a few years ago. It got, when Ronaldo was playing, it got, what, 6 million views last season. And it's just got 1.6 now. If you don't think Ronaldo makes a difference. Oh, we're talking about YouTube, the YouTube highlights. Yeah, YouTube highlights. Okay, yeah. I oh, mean, Ronaldo makes a difference. Of course he does. It's just remarkable when you look at the different amount of, you know, like viewership that Serie A got. And when you see that, how many records were hit in the Premier League yesterday on Ronaldo, rather on Saturday when Ronaldo played for Manchester. So we really, you know, we miss Buffon on a very sporty level. We miss Ronaldo and his goals. But my God, we miss his... uh, his viewership even more. So I'll leave it at that before we move on to another set of champions. 
Yeah, well, we haven't. We've got we're probably half an hour into this show. I mean, I have no idea. We always talk for too long, don't we? Um, yeah. I, I, uh, I, well, we're half an hour into this show, and we haven't spoken yet about the reigning champs, Inter, who, uh, new manager, of course, Simone Inzaghi, had a pretty nice start winning their first two games. They've come back from the international break, and they've drawn with Sampdoria, to all. Uh, they were twice in front. Um, I... Um, think my takeaway from this game is probably more again a bit it's slightly more of a human one than a footballing one I think these games after the international round are really hard to get too caught up in I think that if anyone is looking at the league table now and going oh they've dropped two points they're getting carried away um but okay but do you think Inter you can give them that alibi Inter based on (laughs) what you saw in the match do you think you they deserve an excuse well, I think they threw away the lead twice, which is pretty sloppy. Um, okay. Uh, I, I don't think it was a great performance. I think that personally, I was, um, if we'd been doing this podcast two weeks ago, I think I would have been there saying, all right, but like, do I really think that Edin Dzeko, even for this sort of encouraging start, and do I think that Edin Dzeko is um, as, as sort of reliable an element as... Um, Romelu Lukaku, do I think that, um, I'm about to say nice things about him, but do I think that you can sort of drop Bastoni and, and have Di Marco come in and, and not lose anything defensively? No, of course I don't think that, because those are really good players. Bastoni's still there, he just wasn't available this weekend. Um, but I do want to talk about that Di Marco goal, because he was, um, he's an academy graduate at, um, at Inter who... Um, was first in their youth system at like five or six years old. So when we talk about credit academy graduates, that can mean a lot of things, right? That could mean that you were spotted at 15 and signed for another academy. This is like a, an inter kid who started with the the really little ones and and came up all the way to to being um making his breakthrough with the senior team under Roberto Mancini. So we're talking about 2014, it's a long time ago, making his his debut for the, the senior team. And since then has sort of repeatedly been sent away to Empoli, Ascoli, Parma, Siena, and not Siena, Sion even, sorry, in Switzerland, um, and comes back periodically. He came back under Antonio Conte and played, I think, a total of like 25 minutes across three games and then got sent out again on loan. And finally, he gets this start, his first start um, for Inter, and Halfway through the first half, he scores this free kick that was tracked at like 70 miles an hour or something, which he just wellies into the top corner. Um, and I, it was such a wonderful moment and um, unfortunately undermined by Inter not playing that well afterwards. Do you think that, I'm asking because I think that that free kick was something out of this planet and I'm a big fan it of It was this. incredible. And Ivan Hurich has done such a great job with him. Um, I can understand why he was so upset about being in charge of Verona because every time he creates somebody, they go back to their teams or whatever it is, yeah? But do you think they lost to something in terms of defensive solidity when it wasn't Bastoni and Skriniar and De Bruyne? You know, that that trio that understands their role. So That's the best back three in Serie It is. Mm. So, of course, um, is my answer to that, really, yeah. So here's my issue with Inter. Um, I had tweeted out something in, on May 28th and I actually put on my Twitter right now, which is something about me not trusting Inzaghi about one thing. So I'm never really good at judging how well a player will do or grow or whatever. I, I just see what I see. And sometimes I'm like, yeah, I think he's rubbish. And then he becomes great. 
I'm still right about Dybala, but I'm just wait and see. Yeah, <laughs> But you know what I mean? But one thing I do really have an obsession with is coaching. And my only issue with Inzaghi is that I think that from a tactical sophistication, I love his inside. I think they have so much more unpredictability than Antonio Conte's team. I think going forward on an offensive level, there's so many more nuances. It's making up for the loss of Lukaku. There's a lot more engagement from everyone around the team. Um, I think there isn't that just one, you know, or two basic tactics. I think Ericsson elevated the game a lot as well for Antonio Conte. And towards the end of his reign, it was a very good team, but perhaps not the most exciting team to watch. Yeah. But I love his side so far and I love their performances. My issue has and always will be that game on the 8th of December because I was in Dubai. I had left a meeting early to watch the Champions League game between Lazio and Krabruga. And then he decides on the 70th or something minute to take off Ciro Immobile and Luis Alberto in a Champions League match because he was like, you know what, we've secured the 2-1 victory, we've got the two goals, they can come off, it's fine. And then they really had to hold on, okay? And I thought, if you're going to be that team that doesn't qualify, I'm going to kill you. I'm going to kill you because it's in your hands, you know? And he just completely destroyed that team because it was substitutions. And this is a side that usually does really, really well in stoppage time. You know, they got all those goals when they were challenging before COVID hit and then they fell apart, you know, when they were always a side that managed goals in the 90th minute. His subs were really irritating me. And that game, I've never been able to shake it off. And it left me with a deep fear because he started to do it again in the league. And he did it this time around at Inter. Five substitutions in 15 minutes. You stripped that team of any understanding or any identity that they would have created. It just happens. Even if you bring on Ronaldo and uh, and Lionel Messi and Mbappe, it's still going to shake up the team because they've lost the things that they've understood or how they've played for the whole game. So how, how can you do that? And then you left with Sensi injured. You're playing down to 10 men. This is your loss. This is your loss. This is all on you. And there is... Draw technically, but yes, I take your point. You know what I mean? Like, as in you threw away... Okay, you're right. You threw away two points. They did get a draw. Mm. You're right. But it, it is that kind of... Sometimes he takes things for granted. And it really bothers me with Inzaghi. And I feel like that is being transmitted to the team. Because when you consider how much possession they lost, how easily they give away the ball, the type of mistakes they made, this wouldn't have happened under Antonio Conte. Tactically, I'm never going to be Conte's biggest fan. But in terms of mentality, he understands how to secure wins. And I feel like I don't want this team to lose that under Simone Inzaghi because there were just, there was just this kind of lackadaisical, there was a Napoli edge to them at times, Mm. you know that. And I don't want them to take results for granted. And you can say this is, you know, they've worked really hard. You're right, internationals, they've paid more minutes than anyone else. But Zimoni Inzaghi actually is the coach that does the well after international breaks. He's only lost four of the 18 matches he's guided after these big breaks, you know. So I expect it better. I'm worried about them on a mental level. I hope that he is good enough to ensure that they provide that tactical sophistication, but maintain that mentality that saw them win everything. And this this type of sometimes dropping tension or whatever it is, it is the reason why Napoli haven't secured a Scudetto. And it could be the reason that Inter drops it when you look at what Milan can do. Yeah, so I, I have a question I really want to ask you, which is like a snap question, which is like, do you think they can retain the title? But I think that to do that, we probably need to finish. Um, and maybe we try and bring these um, two 
topics together a little bit because um, I am wary of us sort of going too long, <laughs> which we can do. Um, but there's some teams we still haven't mentioned that also had interesting games this weekend. Milan against Lazio, which was a big game and which ended up being a far more straightforward win for Milan than I ever imagined it was going to be. Mm-hmm. We also then had Atalanta against Fiorentina. Atalanta lost to Fiorentina. And that was a, a really entertaining game. Interesting that it ended up being decided entirely by penalties, which I think was not necessarily reflective of the game, which was quite open. Um, I think maybe let's um, let's try and bring all of these topics uh, together and um, and sort of uh, talk about where we think those last few of the sort of big clubs are, rather than a sort of detailed how did these individual games go? Like where do we think those those big clubs are in in their sort of um, picture going forward into the into the um, the title race, I guess, and the top four race. So I do think the title race is open this season. Yeah, for sure. And then also, I suppose, let's have a quick, let's throw ahead quickly to the Champions League games as well, the European games. It's interesting when it comes to Lazio because I couldn't believe that, you know, when I had to make sort of a advice on a betting situation between these two clubs, I chose to go with Lazio win. And I'm not a fan of Mauricio Susari, never really had, like, I like him, but he's not a coach that I particularly love, but I'm a huge fan of Stefano Pioli and I decided to bet against him. You know, what, what a mm. stupid mistake, okay? <laughs> I don't know why I just took it seriously with the way that Sadi is, Lazio has been playing and the amount of goals that they've been scoring. Obviously, not taking into account it's Venezia and Empoli, it's not exactly like, you know, like Inter and Juventus. So I assumed that considering the fact that Milan had such a terrible home record, that potentially there wasn't, you know, Giroud wasn't starting, he had COVID, that Ibra might not come on until the very end, that there were all these question marks hanging over them, that potentially this was a banana slip against a very attacking team. And Giro Mobile, who has managed at least three goals every five games for Lazio, and I know he doesn't do it for the national team. It's a boring subject now because we get it, but he does do it for Lazio, you know. So for sure, I thought this was going to be a, a Lazio win. Well, not for sure, but probably. And then you see the beauty of Pioli's arrangement. This team just continues to shock me because, you know, you always sort of see them as being like a Teo Hernandez attack-led sort of, you know, one-side heavy, you know, going forward, relying a little bit sometimes on Ibra to tie it all together. But right now, the players that are surprising me and, and the way that they are playing, they are a threat on every side through Calabria through Teo Hernandez through the middle with Brahim Diaz that midfield that was so reliant at the time on the partnership between Benacer and Kessie is now has now added Tonali and Brahim Diaz to it and they just completely it was almost like a snake dance that they did for Lazio where those guys were just like couldn't do anything purely had mm. completely neutralized them but they didn't just neutralize Lazio's you know Milinkovic Savage and Luis Alberto and Lucas Leiva, but they also were the players that should have been neutralized. Everything that they did, the way that they contributed to both the attack and the defense, the way that Tonali has so grown into this person that we Tonali might be the revelation of this early part of the season. Yeah, is he really like Gattuso Pulo? He's a mix of both, right? Yeah. I I I don't want to get ahead of myself at tonight because I feel like I've yeah. done that once and got burned. We did, yeah. And he deserves um, to be given time to develop into whatever he wants to be, you know. But he's been good. He's yeah. been, this is not the first game he's been good. He's been good yeah. for Milan this season, and 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 I've noticed that, and I I'm excited by it. Um, I think um, when you look at that midfield, it's also interesting that, for instance, um, one other piece I thought was maybe not, um 
perfect for Inter this weekend was Chalanoglu and Chalanoglu was brilliant but inconsistent for Milan and maybe it'll turn out that that is not such a big loss to say goodbye to him in the end um I I, I loved Leao's goal I thought that was a brilliant there was so many brilliant goals is Leao in all you at all though or you always like him? oh Leao's incredibly frustrating he's in the he's, same camp yeah. as Chalanoglu as someone who I don't trust um mm. to be consistent at all but um mm. brilliant goal um, I love Ibrahimovic coming off the bench and doing Ibra things after he's given an interview to France football where he says, I'm as good as, as Messi and Ronaldo and, um, and oh, I don't need a Ballon d'Or, the Ballon d'Or needs me and uh, all these Latin things and comes off and scores a goal and he's, he's you know, still doing his stuff. But um, I, I was really impressed with Milan. I was really disappointed by, by Lazio. I thought it was um, so much less than I thought they were going to be in this game. Um, do you think there I is think, room for growth, or do you think it's, he's too much of a change on what Inzaghi did? Oh, I think there's like three man back line, four man back line, pressing high up. He wants them to attack from the, you know. I, I'm not, I'm not um, making any sweeping uh, judgments on it. I think there's still lots of pieces of that team that um, can work together. I mean, Immobile had a stinker, yeah, and um, that was the other like uh, tiny note I had on this game was of all the nonsense this weekend that went down um he gives away a pound before half time and it's just a foul he just kicks um god was it Kessie or someone else Kessie, Kessie. took the penalty it was Kessie so Kessie just kicks him in the back of the, the the Achilles quite hard and it isn't given and they go to the AR booth and the AR obviously awards it as a penalty and I don't understand I don't understand how as a footballer you can think you know you did it like he has to know he did it and they've gone to the VAR booth and they've come back. And at that point, he's still arguing. I'm thinking, why? You know, this anyway. But I I I I I think I'm not taking sweeping um conclusions because it's still too early for me. Um and I, I'm reluctant to do this the, the same with the other team. I, I do want to bring them in Atlanta because I, I was a bit disappointed at Atlanta this weekend. Um, even though it was an interesting game, I, Why are you? I think that that team looks weaker to me. Um, and maybe I was just being um, too influenced by Vlahovic, who I thought was brilliant, even though his goals came from a penalty spot. Great penalties, by the way. Um, and I do want to get to that question. Um, I do want to get to that question, Mina, of of um, the having said not getting swept away. The knee-jerk reaction, because we didn't get to do predictions before the season started. Who do you think is going to win this league? Who do you think is going to end up on top at the end of it? Three games in. <laughs> I, I know, but the, but we could have done it before the season started and that'd be zero games in. So you've got more information than you did. No, because then I could go on what I saw in pre-seasons and I could just even <laughs> make a guess. But now that I've watched them, it's just... <laughs> Who I do I think is going to win this league? Yeah. It's between me and Anna Nube and Inter, right? Interesting. I don't yeah. know why there's something about Inzaghi that I don't trust. I don't know. I hope I hope he proves me wrong. I still believe in, in the best coaches in Serie A. And for me, the best coaches with a big team that can support their, obviously, otherwise Italiano is the best coach. Um, then it is it is Milan. I, I think probably Milan, actually, to be honest with you. Right now, from what I've seen in the first three performances, they have blown me away in each one. They are the only team that hasn't won by accident or in any way, shape or form. I think that it's been comprehensively brilliant performances, whether it was Giroud last time, to Zlatan this time, to the brilliance of Calabria, who's got to be the best Italian fullback in the league, you know. 
I'm obsessed yeah, with this Zola. kid. I know he's injured, but come on. The, Who? The, the, the Spir- oh, no, Spinazzola. Yeah, Spinazzola had a great Euros, but before that, you would have thought Calabria is a better, right? I mean, okay. now I would say Spinazzola is up there with Calabria and they're both probably level. Yes, but just before the Euros, I wouldn't have necessarily gone to him as the best Italian fullback. But this is what Pioli has done with that team and the way that he's just introducing different different players into it and letting them all grow. If Leao can just be a little bit more consistent because there's so much to his game that's beautiful to watch. It's only the end product. But it has to be Milan, right? Because I don't see how Juve is going to... It's really hard to know, isn't it? Because we sort of went through this like decade of Juventus before last mm. season. And there is a little bit of, in the back of my brain going, no, but it'll still be Juventus. It, I haven't worked out how yet. It just will happen because my brain like will tell me that. Um, I, I really, but this is this is actually honestly, this is the, um, this is the the. Okay, who's top the, four? This is, but this is what's so interesting about the seasons. I, I genuinely think this is the least predictable season in a really long time, really long time for top four. And if you'd asked me before the season started, I would have said zero chance that Roma could win the league zero like really zero and now you think they could win I'm, the league they're not my favorites but it's not zero anymore in my head it's not zero anymore okay can um, Fiorentina make top four because they are they've been fantastic <laughs> yeah they can make top, I, I think Vlahovic is probably going to be the best striker in Serie A this season I I think he's brilliant and I can't he's another one I can't believe he's still there I really can't I think he's magnificent um well, 2021, but, what, only Lewandowski? What are these wonderful stats that everyone keeps belting out on Twitter? You know, only Lewandowski, Haaland has scored more. Yeah, I don't mean to say he's the best forward um, because I think that, you know, I have others in that conversation like Kiesa, but I think he's the best number nine, um, very possibly in Serie A right now. Okay, before we get to Champions League and before we get to Europa League, just give me a quick top four. All right, I'm, I'm going to... Because I did predict them in preseason, I'm going to stick with Juventus some way, somehow. Haven't worked out how yet. Juventus number one, Milan number two, uh, and Roma number three, and uh, oh my god, Inter. Now I've suddenly got Inter and Napoli. I'm like, what am I doing? Um, oh. I, it has to be Inter. That the Inter can't come out the top. Inter can't come out the top four. Um, <laughs> but I also that takes me with Napoli outside my top four. And if you told me today that, that Napoli win the league, I wouldn't be shocked. I really wouldn't. I think it's it's that open for me that fifth place in my predictions, I could believe winning the league. Definitely Roma. That means you're not counting Atalanta either. I think Atalanta are going to take a step back. I, that's my honest feeling. And I would yeah, be delighted to be wrong forward. about it, but I think they're going to take a step back. They're right when they need when when Gasparini said that he thought another forward would arrive because you can see that's mm-hmm. missing from them, especially now with the injury to Luis Muriel. Yeah. Um, and they never, you know, replaced Papu Gomez, I guess. And Malinowski, Maranchuk are very good. And Romero not. was brilliant last season. He was brilliant. Yeah. So that is a loss as well. Um, yeah, for me, I think I would actually fall off my chair if Napoli won. I would be hugely shocked. <laughs> I think it would be, for me, more of a shock than Leicester winning the Premier League title, just because, like, they irritate right. me so much. I disagree. I disagree. And I say this I only because of, it was so easy to make top four. How? How could you have not done it last season? That it was stuff? Gattuso. It's a different manager. It's a different era. I haven't computed I, I do think this Spalletti, yet. I think Spalletti is worth some points to them. I really do. Let's see, because if Ancelotti is a guy who struggled there, I don't know if Espelletti is better than that. But I agree with you. I do think he's a very good coach. Okay, Champions League. Do we now think Milan have a chance against Liverpool? Because prior to the start of the season, I would have thought to you, that is a clear loss for Milan, you know? 
Yeah, so just quickly, I'll, why don't I just quickly skim down the Champions League fixtures. We've got Juventus away to Malmo this week, Atalanta away to Villarreal, Milan, Milan are away to, to Liverpool and Inter are at home to Real Madrid. Um, I I think that's a pretty tough slate. Um, obviously, yeah. Juventus are expected to be Malmo. The other three, I think, are all quite tough. Yeah, but you know, Malmo will get, you know, a draw like Nordischland oh, did and God, all these other matches. Juventus, too. wouldn't it? Um, but, but I, I think Milan have a chance against Liverpool, but they're the underdogs. I can Inter make it out of the group home. stage? Oh, to get out of the group? Yeah, I think so. I think mm-hmm. I think Pioli's got them in a really good place right now. And I am really looking forward to seeing them play against Liverpool, actually, because I think... Um, oh, Milan, I've um, talking about Inter before, yeah. I, I think if I go player for player uh, down Li- Milan and Liverpool's um, teams, their squads, I, I, if I'm being honest, I think it's a no contest. I think Liverpool have more talent. Um but I also think um, I think that there is still this sort of um, enduring underestimation of Serie A and some of it, like the clubs in Europe have tended to disappoint in recent seasons. But what's funny about that is that even in those recent seasons, while disappointing as a broad whole, there have been some really good performances in the most sort of high profile games. Milan gave Manchester United two really good games um, uh, just uh, last season so yeah, I, but they should have won that considering Solskjaer's they should yeah. they should um and I you know I, I look at a situation like how many people have bored my ear off frankly about uh Lukaku and wanting to suggest that coming to Serie A he had it easier and now look he's gone back to Premier League and guess what he's a brilliant striker who scores lots of goals and it's you know these are narratives that I would love to see dismantled a little bit. Um, so of course, Ronaldo didn't score in that. his first three matches in Serie A. You know, do you remember when it was yeah. talked about as if maybe Serie A is really good defending? He scored two in the first match. You know, in Newcastle, <laughs> though I would score two too. But you know what I mean. Um, so I, I could imagine. I think Milan will get through their group. I expect Juventus. I think that all of Milan, Juventus, and Inter are good enough to get through their group. Atalanta, they've done it. You know, better than the other clubs have in recent seasons. But I. I, I I'm worried about Atlanta this season. I, I I can't quit my finger on it, but I think that maybe there's only so long that that, that, that level of magic can can be held up. I don't think they're about to fall away and finish 12th or something, but I'm just not sure they are quite in that zone they've been in for so long. Um, but uh, this week's games, tough games, and I would um, I would not be uh, shocked if Juventus the only Italian team to win this week. Of the Champions League teams. Europa League, there's also Lazio away to Galatasaray, Napoli away to Leicester, which I think will be interesting games as well. Okay. Um, so before we we end this, and then I just wanted to go through if you had any snap reactions, quick judgments, anything you might want to mention yeah, about so what you've watched. Can I mention Honestly, one? Because for me, for yeah, Venice, for yeah. Yeah, yeah, jump in. Uh, David Okereke. I'm not Okereke, sure I'm, yeah. I'm not sure I'm saying it right, but So this was a man who had come up, um, you know, it was, it was the old owner of Spezia that had started a school in Nigeria. He was part of that, moved to Spezia, then moved to Belgium, now moved to Venezia. And he had the game of his life alongside Thomas Henry. And uh, I just, there's a lot about Venezia that I'm I'm sort of really intrigued about because I think Zanetti has some really interesting tactical ideas. I wonder whether he can be my new Italiano. Let's not get carried away because nobody can be Italiano. But I really want to see them. And I really for sure, for sure thought Empoli were going to smash them considering, uh, you know, the massive changes. But the way that they dealt with this challenge, 
the way that they had organized their their block in in the middle i i really really am interested to see how far they can go and obviously those two players are definitely worth going forward so just a small one because we're never usually allowed to talk about small teams so i just wanted to mention that what about you? Yeah, well, did Tenasi, <laughs> same same game. Uh, I thought Venezia Empoli was one of the low key sort of really fun games this weekend. Yeah. By the way, um, I I think um, I wanted to drop because I know if we're going to have some of the audiences we've had in the past, there'll be some American audiences coming in. Gianluca Buzio came over from Kansas City, uh, playing at Venezia. I thought he had a really impressive game. Um, Another one, and and is is quietly sort of yeah showing up for that Venezia team. Look, it's. Venezia, it's not yet um, a Champions League team. Don't get carried away, please. But I, I think he's got um, exactly the sort of um, combativeness that a team in their position, newly promoted, is going to want to to have in its midfield uh, going forward. I lost track of the number of shots he blocked in that game. He really felt like he was everywhere in that shielding uh, role in front of the, the the defense. I felt like he was really all action and impressive and and stood out to me. So uh, he was one of the things I wanted to mention. I'm trying to think if there were other... This was Venezia's so first win for 19 years in Serie A. Yes, Venezia just went <laughs> back in the top five. Oh, and on the other side of that coin, um, the sort of slightly... If there's a team that's really worrying me in Serie A this season, unfortunately, is Salernitana, also newly promoted. They went out and signed Frank Ribery, made a big deal of it. It was very exciting, dramatic, ridiculous things. Salernitana, Frank Ribery, whoever imagined that. Yeah. Marriage coming together, but... They conceded 11 goals in, in three games. They lost the last two 4 0. I think that is. But I'm happy for Torino. I'm happy for Juvan Juric, you know. So I think that we all. I do think that Torino won't have the problems that they've had in recent years when they've been trying to avoid relegation. Obviously, Marco Giampaolo are moving on between coaches and coaches. I think that this is a season in which they can grow, even though Juric is not happy with the transfer market. Perhaps mm-hmm. we can. Uh, we can toss aside all those problems that we've had with Torino. They can start being an interesting team. I do think it's going to be very hard to whittle down even top six because I think Fiorentina could potentially make top four as well. And and I know there's Balvish and Castrovilli and there's just so much to there's so much to look at because I think the coaching is such extreme strength at the moment in Serie A. And I know that the players and the superstars and Ronaldo's and Lukaku's have gone, but I think if you just look at the tests sophistication of the formations and the way that the, the game is being presented to you there's no more let's defend and, and try to just keep it all intact you know Salernitana tried but they conceded about 11 you know generally speaking I think there's a lot of fun to be had this was a weekend of unreal goals I'm yeah. sorry they were unreal like you had both Inter goals were astonishing um all the penalties Berani were great up for, for, for Roma and El Shirawi's uh, against Roma El Shirawi's goal for Roma both Inter goals I already say them I can't remember just every goal Okareke's goal Ocareke. even um, what about the disallowed ones as well you know, we've had goal line clearances we've had everything you can imagine you know yeah and we want you as a listener to take part you know tweet us your tweets we will introduce a section in which we'll answer your questions we'll engage you know in whatever it is that you want us to talk about if you have an, any ideas or you want to hear a little bit more about a team when we this was a different show back then we had to rely on certain topics to guide us through and obviously there was Ronaldo and Lukaku and things have changed now and we get to decide what happens 
Yeah, and, and that's like a broad thing as well, isn't it? Like, I, I think we'd really like to hear from you if there's things that you would like to hear more of in the show. Would you like some more nostalgia? Would you like some more like big mm. picture questions rather than just week to week questions? Are those things that you would like us to do more of? This is our show now, so we can be yeah. more um, fluid and flexible. Let us know if you like this show or if you like listening to us talk about Italian football, what things that um, you would love to, to hear from um, with us. Um, there's loads of places that you can you can do that. Um, obviously, uh, follow uh, Mina at Mina Rizuki. Follow me at Nikki Bandini. Follow the Syria Chronicles Twitter at Syria Akron Pod. Um, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Um, we would love it if you could um, subscribe and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your, your podcasts. But and tell your friends. <laughs> tell your friends. But in general, I think. Um, you know, uh, we're just really happy if you want to come out here and uh, listen to us chat about Italian football every week. I think I think that's it from us uh, today, uh, Mina. I've, I've really enjoyed doing this. Um, I missed you. I do. <laughs> I missed you too. We only just need a coffee now and an Italian coffee. Oh, shop, a know? coffee and a gelato and we'll be all set. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, thank you for tuning in. And um, we will see you on the next one in, enjoy the weekend and hopefully uh, some great performances from the area clubs in Europe as well and see you for the next one ciao sports social podcast network it is Ryan here and I have a question for you what do you do when you win like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.